Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special Women in Film and TV Ireland panel supported by Commission Yumyan. I'm WIFT's project manager, Gemma Cray, and I'm so delighted to be joined by a really impressive lineup of individuals all doing such important work across a number of fields and headed up by WIFT chair and incoming president of WIFT International, Dr. Susan Liddy. So just ahead of the talk, I would like to flag that the bulk of this panel are presently working on a really important survey um, looking at dignity and work in the Irish screen industries supported by Screen Ireland. So I just want to ask if you haven't already, please complete the survey. Please share it on your social medias. We want people of all genders, of all fields applying. It's, it's, it's really important work. Uh, for anyone listening or watching into the podcast, the best way to support the work we do here at WIFT is to become a member and you can join us today at WIFT.ie. So I'm going to very briefly introduce the panel, but to give them the introduction they really deserve would take me hours. So I'm going to speed through this because they're they're just so accomplished. So first up, um, Dr. Susan Lady is our chair and will be become the newest president of WIFT International in September. She's a board member of the Writers Guild of Ireland, of Raising Films Ireland, of the Irish Film Institute, and she's a member of the steering committee of the National Talent Academy for Film and TV Crew South. Susan lectures in the Department of Media and Communication Studies at MIC University of Limerick. She has curated a number of really important books looking at gender policy in the international screen industries, motherhood, ageism as well as the Irish screen industry. She has co-authored two industry reports for Commission Mimion and for Raising Films Ireland. She is the founder and director of Catalyst International Film Festival in Limerick, which is a really wonderful, fun festival that prioritizes films from underrepresented groups. Dr. Fergal Rattigan now, he's a freelance researcher with a PhD from the Department of Sociology in Maynooth University. He has extensive working knowledge of quantitative and qualitative research methods, so methods so so important for the work that we're doing here today. And um, he has worked in the survey unit of the Economic and Social Research Institute for a number of years. He has worked on a number of survey research projects, including the pursuit of change, issues affecting parents and care carers in Ireland screen industries from raising films Ireland. Then we have Jennifer Davidson, and she is the chair of the Writers Guild since 2020. She has she writes for our national soap opera, Fair City, having been a core member of the writing team since 2012. Jennifer is an experienced screenwriter with a background in television production and development. She has spent over 20 years working for a number of Ireland's top production companies, securing commissions for a wide range of programmes. Her years spent encouraging other people to have their stories told informs the ethos of her brand new production company, Heartfelt Drama. So that is a very exciting endeavour. And definitely the Writers Guild of Ireland just do such important work supporting and helping writers. So I would encourage anyone who's a writer to join tomorrow, today, right now. As well as working on this survey now, Owen Daw is the leading policy analyst and consultant with an established work track record in developing and implementing equality, diversity and inclusion projects. Owen is an associate consultant at the Institute of Public Administration and guest lectures on their professional diploma in human rights and equality. Owen holds a BA in industrial relations, a postgraduate diploma in economic science, public policy analysis, and an, an amicon science in public policy analysis 
and a professional certificate in government. That is some <laughs> that is some qualification list. She regularly gives public talks to lectures for both her work and her research. She has co-authored Amplify Women Toolkit with Dr. Brenda Donahue and colleagues across the legal workplace relationships and representative advocate communities such as ourselves with Ireland. And she was the project advisor for Speak Up which was a call for change report. And that is a lot of what we're basing our survey on is this follow on for that need to, to really stress those important issues. So first off that, and that doesn't even cover the half of it now. That's that's the abridged versions of all their, of, of all these very impressive CVs. So I just wanna thank you guys so much for chatting with us today and I will get straight to the important questions. <laughs> so, um. Susan, you have driven our Dignity at Work project on behalf of WIFT Ireland. And I was just wondering why you felt this research was necessary. Uh, hi, Gemma, and thank you for, for that introduction, which I'm sure we're all red faced after. But um, yeah, look, it's no secret, uh, I, I think. Um, we all know that bullying, harassment, sexual harassment and predatory behaviour, they are pervasive. You know, that is the situation. So we can, they can be found across all sectors, not just the screen industries. And there's a lot of research being done in Ireland and elsewhere around the world. And the thing is that there's actually a chilling similarity, similarity to it is, is uh, what strikes me. Um, those kinds of harmful behaviours, they cut across all sectors. It's true that they impact women more than men, although men can be affected too. And actually, it's fair to say as well, women can also abuse power, of course. We, we, we mustn't forget that. Um, the thing about it is it's chronically underreported. And I suppose part of the reason is that power differential sometimes between the person who's abused and the abuser. Um, and the other thing that, you know, really gets under your skin is when you realise that those who have been affected um, are demoralized because, in fact, the abuser tends not to pay the price, which is uh, something that's quite uncomfortable for a lot of people. So I, I think you, you touched on it there. The Irish Theatre Institute Speak Up report in 2021 was obviously a groundbreaking piece of work. And I hope that Alwyn maybe will refer to it um, later on because she was uh, involved. Um, it looks at the art, art sector. Now, just to come in personally here, I have heard whispers and rumours, um, to be honest, about men. I'm not saying that it doesn't impact on women, but I've heard whispers and rumours about uh, men in the in the Irish industry who uh, are known for intimidation and for appalling behaviour on set. Bullies, you would have to say. Uh, and, and, you know... Some of those names are are are, are known and widely known, and uh, but th that is rumor and that is speculation. Um, interestingly, in the in the uh, the uh, Speak Up report, twenty percent of those who were involved had some work in the film industries or were somehow connected with film. And suppose I suppose I started thinking, well, you know, it it isn't. Even with that, we don't have a full picture of the screen industries. And yet we still are going around hearing all this. So really, it isn't good enough. We have to know more. And we and to know more, we have to actually undertake this ourselves. As I suppose the bottom line for me would be that the first step to creating a safe workplace is to get a sense of what is going on there. And that's what has driven this. And that's what's important to me and, and the WIFT board. And indeed, I would say for many, many of our members we're very pleased to hear we were doing this. 
Definitely. And there was such a, a hunger for it as well, because it is so important. I think if, if you go to any of the WIFT events, like one of the things you often come across is someone frustrated. And, and I think if you don't have that network, if you don't have that support system, it can be very isolating if you are the victim of somebody like that. Like there's such support in numbers. Um, I just want to talk, Fergal, something like this, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of um, information to to put together and and I think as well, it covers the screen industries, which is a very broad term as well. There's a lot of different roles and different types of roles. And, you know, some may be more conducive to implementing best practices. And some might be like the Wild West with regards to regulation. I'm just wondering, Fergal, how do you put together a survey like this? And where do you begin? And there's so many questions that you ask. How do you decide on, on what goes in the pot? Well, uh, essentially, I think our starting point is the Speak Up survey. Uh, that was a marvellous survey that was done in the arts uh, sector. And so having looked at that survey, I we then decided to have a look at other surveys and reports on bullying and harassment, both nationally and internationally. Uh, some of the key reports were, say, the ESRI, did a survey on bullying and harassment in uh, 2007. I think they did an earlier survey, which actually forms the basis of the Health and Safety Authority's guidance on bullying and harassment. So it was just to look at the range of questions and the topics that they investigated. And then we were thinking about how useful would they be for digging into the the whole issues of bullying and harassment in the screen industries, understanding that is what you were saying, that it is a diverse grouping. And we have to be mindful of um of capturing and designing questionnaire that would capture all those different moving parts, the different people who, who work in the industry. Um, and, um, as I said, in, there are also some international reports, in particular the Looking Glass report in Britain. It's a marvellous report and survey that's done on mental health in the UK screen industries. And they have a section in that report which specifically looks at um, bullying and harassment in, in the screen industry in the UK. Um, moving on from that, the the research team that Susan has put together, uh, all of myself and Dr. Kira Murphy, we 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 sat down and and I I initially brought together all these different ideas from these different surveys, and we worked together to come up with a, a draft questionnaire. And in fact, we had several drafts before we came to this final working version. So there was great teamwork involved and uh, careful consideration of what was the appropriate language, the appropriate layout of the questionnaire, so as to get the maximum responses from it, and also to sort of encourage people to participate as well. So, Owen, this is probably a very good time to um, ask you uh, to share a little bit about your work on Safe to Create um, and, and, and basically yeah. your findings and, and where you guys are now. 
yeah yeah thanks so much Gemma and um, so I mean what I what I'll do afterwards is I've like a deck that folks can have a look at if they if they wish to with just some of the details but um obviously speak up is the product of um or sorry safe to great is the product of speak up which you've heard a little bit about already which was founded um in 2017 2018 following um it was a wider international me too conversation but um conversations that emerged in Ireland particularly around theatre and issues of um harassment sexual harassment and indeed uh, there were um allegations of assault as well so it's quite serious um so the Irish Theatre Institute was tasked by the department and they were culture heritage and the growth of the time and um, to basically to move forward with a kind of proactive approach to dealing with what these issues had had uh, materialized and what you know what it was suggesting was you know a very substantial issue um in theater specifically so that involved the development of a code of behavior which is available on the website now and we encourage organizations to adopt it sign up and uh, ratify it at their board um but also you know in in-person events you know pre-covid obviously everything was in person but uh but in-person events which was really designed to sort of discuss the issues so fast forward then 2020 2021 was the next phase um which in Involved the survey and the report, and you know Susan, both Susan and, and Fergal have referred to. You know the findings were pretty stark, as you can imagine. So, um, one of the things that that really stood out was the fact that uh, over half the people who responded had been bystanders, so they'd witnessed something in the workplace. Um, and again, as Susan mentioned, actually the second following theatre, the le- the second level of high responses came from people working in the film sector. Um, but, you know, the prevalence certainly was was there very clearly for us to see. Um, and interestingly, I suppose, what, what has led to some of the sports we do have in place with Safe to Great was the fact that over a third of people didn't feel comfortable looking for support. Um, and again, around the same figure, they weren't aware of what supports might be available. So really what we have now is a resource rich website. There's everything I think people might need to find either as a freelance worker, as somebody's an employee or somebody's running an organization. Uh, we also have partnered with Minded Creative Minds. So that's free to anybody working in the arts or creative sectors. Um, it's 24 seven available. It offers both counseling um, and support, but also legal advice. Um, and one tool I'll just mention briefly, which I can send to you to pop into the chat if you wish, is um, the report and support tool. So this was inspired by the third level sector. Um, they have put this tool in place as well. We, we're using the exact same organization who built it. And it just it's a gateway for people who maybe either didn't get a chance to at the time or more how to report um, to to anonymously log their experiences. It also helps us as safe to create to target our work into the future. So we will be reporting on it over a period of time. Um, and we, we know from our friends in third level that this has actually increased the level of reporting, but also increased awareness around certain types of behaviours. So, you know, in the round, what we're trying to do is actually really promote dignity of work across the arts. And so we're trying all of these different, uh, I suppose, multifaceted approaches to do that. Um, so we do have other training coming up as well. And I should give a shout out to Screen Ireland because they were great Um partners and we work with them on an ongoing basis in the development of online training that's available and also free for anybody to use and it's on our website and it includes being an active bystander unconscious bias bullying harassment really really useful material for people so i will i could talk forever so i'm going to stop now because you have to hear from other people as well and but you know really really welcome questions from anybody too it's um it's it's something we're all really passionate about i know on this call definitely like because i i think uh... 
a woman working in the industry in the creative industry the nature of freelance where you know you might not just be asked back where there's no process of firing like it everything is so it, it, it's not as clear or as easy to police or as easy to see in a certain way so it's it's very interesting to see the work that you guys are doing and 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 how it's implemented I'm going to come back to that because there's a specific area that I do want to to talk about and that relates to the survey as well but first I want to um just ask Jennifer because Jennifer represents a whole group of people of writers um you know like I mean you often hear about you know like writers you know their projects not being maybe not being respected in the right way or or you know that like the, the issue with regards to power dynamics and in, in the relationship the creative relationships and I just want to say does any of this ring true to you know the 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 membership of um the Writers Guild of Ireland like do you do you guys as a union as a, as a kind of guild, get those complaints in and hear those stories. I know we can't go into specific details, and I think that's a very important thing to touch on. There's about being respectful of people's privacy as well. Um, and I think that's something that the survey definitely um, seeks to create. But just, just with regards sort of broad strokes and anecdotally. Sure. I mean, it's actually, that's a really interesting point because... We know that that stuff happens. And obviously, as a writer, as well as chair of the guild, I have witnessed um, that stuff. I've experienced it. We do not get the number of complaints and reporting into the guild that we actually should. I know when Waking the Feminists happened, um, this was, I had only just joined the board of the guild at the time, but we set up um, a free counselling service for writers to avail of. Not one writer availed of it. And I mean, we know that that's not because our members weren't having problems. I think it absolutely ties into that lack of stability, that fear that if you make a complaint, you're the one who'll end up not having work. And because work is so scarce um, for writers, particularly in film and TV, people don't want to get a reputation for being the difficult person in the room. It's terrible it's every cliche that you know we hear but that's absolutely at the heart of it I think people will talk about this stuff in peer groups but in terms of actually calling it out I think people don't and there's almost a sense that I think we're still fighting that attitude that oh well that's just the way it is and that's what you've got to put up with in a creative industry um, which obviously is the furthest thing from the truth, but it's absolutely still some a message we're trying to get through to our members. Um, we have been for, I would say, the last two years trying to get a um, suite of codes of best practice um, through the industry. So we started with a code of best practice for continuing drama that has still not been signed off on. You would think that that stuff would be relatively straightforward to go Here's just a model for how you should treat people well. And yet we find ourselves stuck in negotiations and arguing over clauses and arguing over whether the Writers Guild has the right to tell an industry stakeholder how to treat their staff. And you just get stuck in the quagmire instead of actually making stuff happen. That's so it's so disappointing to hear as well about about things getting to that level, because I suppose our our industry is so small and reputationally it it's a case of you know it's it's your name 
besmirched or the other parties. And if you're not as established as them, you're, you know, you're you're just terrified to speak up. And I just think that's why this this research is so important. And I, I just want to I just want to talk to you, Susan, about how did you put together this team to work on on this research? How how did you decide on what was needed for? Well, I suppose the first thing to say, uh, to be fair, is that we are aware, I think we're all aware, that Screen Ireland has done really good work around trying to embed EDI, equality, diversity and inclusion, into um, into the screen industries. And by the way, the BAI previously, and I'm sure Commissioner Man as well now, uh, they have been very uh, supportive and interested in that. It's not, there's no doubt that if you look back over the last decade, enormous change has happened. And I think it's always important to sort of see that. You've had the initiatives being rolled out. You have had the attempt to change the production culture. Uh, and in fact, at different times, Green Ireland, for instance, would have made formal statements about bullying and harassment in the workplace. And they would have come out very strong against it and have focused on this uh, dignity at work and so on. And Alwyn, you, you, you referenced there that they're quite good partners in all of this. Um, so they have collaborative, collaborated in measures to uh, correct this so-called bad behaviours and so on. But I suppose... Um, what hasn't quite been done yet is is really to get those um, experiences and observations from the actual practitioners. That's the, the piece of the jigsaw for me that's missing. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, we, we have to do something like this. And I suppose I put the idea to the WIFT board and there was um, unanimous agreement that it needed to be done. So we approached Screen Ireland and actually, you know, we put together a very comprehensive proposal, but we got stakeholder funding. So I, I mean, I should say Screen Ireland have, have supported and backed this uh, piece of research. So then it's a case of who do you get? Now, I didn't have to look very far for Fergal Rattigan, we've worked before, and Fergal being a quantitative man is just what I was looking for, because that is not my area. And it's wonderful to, to be able to surround yourself by great people who have strengths that you don't have. Um, and after that, Alwyn, of course, has worked uh, with WIFT before many years ago. Alwyn, you have done a piece of work for WIFT. And of course, her reputation uh, is uh, you know known far and wide as is Dr. Kira Murphy's, and they were both involved in the Speak Up report. So it, it really didn't take, uh, it didn't take a great sort of, uh, a great genius to say, well, you know what, these are the people that I would really uh, want. And Alwyn and Kira's critical eye, as Fergal has uh, referenced there, is, is, is really, really helpful. Um, and, um, you know, that's, I think this is the team we need to get it over the line. And um, here we are, I guess. Wonderful. And I just want to kind of go back to you, Fergal, and just say, we we just spoke there about protecting anonymity and, you know, people are giving very private information. I, I just want to say, how are people kind of like, will, when this is finished, when it comes out the other end, like, will any of the stories be released? Are people's names being protected? What's the the process there? Well, as you can see from the actual survey itself, we do not collect any sort of personal data around names or email addresses or any of that nature that can identify any given person. We do get some biographical details, but the importance of the biographical details is we use that 
globally, not individually. So we're, we're kind of looking for, say, the number of males or the number of females in the survey and how each group might answer a question or where people live. Do they live in Dublin or Dublin people particularly exposed to certain behaviours in the workplaces compared to people in the, in living outside of Dublin? That, that's the reason for having biographical information so that we can sort of broaden out the story, but only at a global level so that so that we're able to to compare across groups, which is very important in a survey like this, whether people are working part-time, whether people are freelance. They're the type of things that we want to be able to try and dig into. And that's why it's important in a survey like this is that we maximise the number of people who participate. So, So therefore that we can really give a comprehensive view of what's going on at various different levels and within various different groupings within the industry. Brilliant. And and Owen, I was just wondering if you could speak kind of to a similar theme with regards to the Safe Create reporting tool. Um, I know that like that's a like it's really important for us to share our experiences, to to be honest about our level of experiences, because until there's a light shone on it, no one's gonna know like nothing's gonna change. But then also you know, like that, that that reputational protection is so important. I'm just I'm just wondering how it's managed. Yeah. So, I mean, it's probably uh, a bit simpler from the perspective that it's managed by a company called Culture Shift, who have created this entire program um, and the software for third level institutions in the UK. And now laterally, a lot of uh, third level institutions in Ireland use it. So it is completely anonymous. There is absolutely like there's no detail in it or no questions that can that that are asked that would identify somebody. Um, there's like literally there is no way of us knowing who it is. Um, and really for us, it's it's not qualitative. It's completely quantitative. So it's it's trying to get a handle. For instance, um, you know, if a lot of people are responding in, uh, let's say, dance for argument's sake, in a particular part of the country, well, then, you know, we can take it that there's potentially an issue there that that uh, people have felt they needed to speak about, but, but in an anonymous way. And it does just help us in terms of the way we target our resources and our supports that that we're we're doing that when it's informed with what people are actually experiencing. So we're hoping that much like third level, what it does let us do then is be a lot more targeted in our approach. Um, and also, you know, we will be reporting on it. So it's I suppose it's an easier job than Fergal's because Fergal's is a very in depth and and qualitative um, analysis, whereas ours is a periodic reporting that this system actually gives us. So um, what it will tell us is, you know, where potentially people are reporting from in terms of art form and what their experiences are. And as I said, it's really very much informed by what came out of the original survey and the report that we needed to give people a way to um, feed in their experiences, but not necessarily have to report them in an organization to somebody that they could do it anonymously um, and as I said, you know, we were able to model what has already worked very well for another sector, which, as Susan has said herself, like we know, um, I also did some work with the Law Society on a very similar report. You know, these issues are societal. They're 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 sector wide. 
Um, and what they do tend to come down to, which, you know, you, your own point, Gemma, is, you know, these power imbalances where people, you know, a, a lot of people are reliant on a very small amount of people with resources and money and, you know, and, and decision making authority. And that fear of being blacklisted is real. I mean, we, we heard a lot about that from theatre, that if you spoke up well, you're difficult, you know, and you might you might not get a gig again. So um, we really need to dispel that, you know. That that kind of long form, um, keeping an eye on things like there, it does show like trends and things shifting, and you can you can correlate it to things like it's a very interesting, um, longer way of looking at it. I'm I'm just wondering, was there any results that you guys that have come up for you guys that maybe is surprising or you know like like where things ebb and flow that maybe we mightn't expect to see. Um just specifically for report and support it's so new we haven't but we haven't had any reports out of it yet but but stay tuned they will they will come out i think we probably uh will look at maybe six month windows or something like that um but i think just i mean i i know uh, susan and Fergal will definitely have views on this themselves but the thing that always stood out to me with speak up was the amount of people who'd witnessed things and that is obviously directly what you know why we've gone down the route of doing bystander intervention training but um, so lots of people in situations where they felt powerless, you know, didn't know what to do or how to respond. So that I mean, that's a wider conversation that's happening about the role of being an active bystander. But it just shows, you know, that does have a very nefarious effect on people, too. You know, it can be just as uh, traumatizing to witness something really often happening in the workplace as much as if it happened to you yourself. So that that's always stood out to me, really. And it is pretty horrific. Um I, I'm as a member of the Writers Guild. It kind of like I'm thinking now that there, there's such a good resource if you need help with contracts, if there's anything, any anything like that that's there. They're always there to support you. And to think that there that people, you know, and they, as a member, they, they always feel very supportive to me. So I find it very interesting, Jennifer, that people aren't like aren't even going like I, I need help with this in, in the way that you expect that that they might or they should I will say this you guys do organize a lot of say training in areas like I know you did some great ones about soft skills does this say something that you guys process in the writers guild and then provide services for is this is this a conscious planning with regards to strategy Absolutely. Um, And I will say, I mean, you know, I suspect or at least I hope that if we ran that counselling service now, we would have a much better um, uptake with it. And obviously these days, you know, we really do point people towards Mind and Creative Minds particularly and the services that they provide. But yeah, we always, I guess for me as chair, my thing is I always look at us internally as an organisation first. So, for example, in the last 12 months, I've spent a lot of time drafting our own dignity at work policy, um, which I printed out today and went, oh, wow, it's 12 pages. Um, you know, it, but I think it's really important for us to do that internal work first and then we can walk the talk and we can lobby other industry organizations and stakeholders and we can also do work with our members or point our members in the direction of other resources, you know, if we don't have the capacity to do them, but it's absolutely something that we're always thinking about. And it even comes back to, you know, doing those codes of best practice that it's really think like the contract stuff is so important, of course, 
but it's also actually about how people are treated in the workplace and how people are treated as freelancers in the workplace and as writers where you're not necessarily in a traditional workplace and all of those kind of extra layers to it um, and just kind of encouraging and both encouraging our members to expect better treatment but also encouraging industry stakeholders to think about how they relate to writers and of course to you know any other crew they're working with Uh, because I think there's a danger that we just go oh that's the way it's always been and so people just fall back into those patterns without actually really challenging them and thinking about them and so that's what we're kind of trying to to push forward and to get everybody really to change their thinking or at least question their thinking oh that that's that is so important um one of the things I I I, that the the survey does and and Susan obviously I can reading it you can see that the language is very careful is that it's a spectrum like you know it, it delves into sexual harassment and you know predatory behaviors but it, I mean as much of of the harassment can take the form of very subtle bullying which can be as detrimental um to your mental health then and, and it's probably much harder to like quantify or prove publicly I'm just wondering um Jennifer is that something that even anecdotally do you feel like our our, our fellow members of the Writers Guild experience um and, and what might that look like in different forms sure. I mean, even for me filling in the survey, it reminded me of the stuff that I've either experienced personally or witnessed that I had kind of blocked out just because you do, because you've got to get on with stuff. And then it was filling in that survey and going, oh, wait a second. <laughs> you know, I'm taking yes to lots of these boxes. Um, I think a lot of it, you know, of course, there, there are the extremes and there's, you know, the real high level stuff, which is really easy to see and to call out but it's the more low-level mid-level stuff that's kind of insidious and that it's really hard to pinpoint and go and I think it can particularly happen in conversations around scripts because we can pretend that we're talking in the abstract and that we're talking about a character or we're talking about a storyline and when actually some of the conversations that are happening just aren't appropriate some of the ways um, that say female characters are being discussed in those contexts are just not on. Um, so that's a lot of what we see. And I think there's often, you know, that's really difficult if you are the diverse writer in the room for whatever reason. It can be really, really hard um, to call that stuff out when you know that like, or you're being, t- not that you know, but you, you're being told or it's being subtly kind of implied that there's a queue of other people outside the door who will take your seat because, you know, of course, there can only be one diverse writer in a room at a time. Um, So that's a lot of it. I think it's also inappropriate behaviours where people are put in sort of a management position, but they've never actually been trained in what management means. And they don't understand that suddenly they are no longer just another freelancer in the mix. Um, And also then, like we've all talked about, that kind of imbalance of contract. So if somebody is on a longer contract and someone is on a shorter contract, it's much easier to let the person on the shorter contract go, even if they're the one who's actually the victim in the circumstance. 
much. That's that is that is sort of shocking as well, where it's not about what's right, it's about what is the least damaging to the company. But I mean And to the overall production. And it's that sense of, oh well, we can take the script and we can, you know, get someone else to continue on with it. But, you know, it's much harder to replace a cameraman or a director or a producer. There's even though, I mean, weirdly, you're like, but you can't do anything with that script. But there's a notion that once there's something on paper, writers are a bit more expandable. That and deeply shocking. And and Susan, you're nodding very um, enthusiastically there. I'm just wondering in one of your many roles, is this something that you have come across and, and what are the, the, the different looks and, Look, and how I mean, that can, how can yeah, manifest? I, I, I think, you know, like Jennifer, um, there's so much that you come across that, that that's hard to, to pin down, hard to find the words for. Um, uh, and so, yes, I suppose over a period of time, I wasn't expecting you to ask me that, Gemma. So I, yeah, sorry. that was I, a shock. I, I haven't thought about like it. Like you were agreeing and so wholeheartedly. No, but, no, because everything that's being said resonates, everything that's being said. Um, and, um, but, you know, it, it is, it's kind of like a wearing down of people, really, I think. Um, and, um, and it's, that, it's the internalization of behaviors as norm that's the scary bit that you're thinking it's really it's really not worth saying it's not worth speaking it because in fact it's just the way it is and nobody else is giving out about it and and that's why i think to, to, you you have to blow things open to to show that, that in fact uh, there are many more people who are um experiencing levels of this uh um then maybe you would have thought before it's it's the only it's the only the route to change really is to expose in that kind of way and the typical power structures that be you know like if you are the diverse person in the room if you are you know like a slightly different age bracket younger older or a woman these things all presumably play into it much more yeah yeah Um, definitely and and Owen, just with regards to um, safe to create, is this something that you're finding again? Like if if you're starting to 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 get that information down, and and also your other work that you have done across like a range of fields. Like I mean, this is this is all like a conversation that's been much more solidified since waking the feminists. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, the thing I was listening, I was obviously no more than Susan, like nodding along there, like nobody's business. Um. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing, there's like, I suppose there's so many intersecting issues that that make, um, pe- particularly people from, let's say, uh, minority ethnic or minoritized backgrounds, let's say, um, you know, and there's, there is, and obviously I've worked on a number of policies myself, which is, re- you know, they're very much focusing on promoting EDI and ensuring that there's a lot more, you know, opportunities and accessibility of opportunity and so on. And like the folks who are doing it meaningfully, there are usually absolutely no issues. What I find though, however, is um, there's the the diversity box. So like, oh, let's get a person of color on the board or let's, you know, give this writing job to that emerging talent, you know. Um, and in fact, they, you know, the, these these people then end up in situations where they're they're not treated as seriously. They're not listened to as clearly. Um, because they're the diversity person to use the term you used yourself 
um, and, you know, invariably find themselves subjected to like microaggressions, unconscious bias, you know, oh, would you like to write that narrative about the, you know, the young Asian girl, because, you know, you're the diverse person. Um, and, you know, like all of this, well, we've been talking about some of the, you know, maybe upper level kind of sexual harassment and so on a lot over the last number of years. Like it's, it can be death by a thousand cuts if you're trying to succeed in an industry where, you know, the tokenistic approach not only makes you feel like you're completely not valued and it's pointless even trying to actually have a proper career, but that actually then you're dealing with all these dignity at work issues, which might not be, to your own point, might not be classed as, oh, is that really bullying? Is that really harassment? You know, because it might be relatively on the scale, on the scheme of things, might seem to be kind of minimal enough, but like it all ultimately has a harmful effect on the individual and it does violate their right to dignity at work. So, I mean, I personally have found the work that I've done, there's been a lot of crossover between EDI and dignity at work. And they have ended up at times being, you know, siloed away from one another. But like, you know, they're inextricably linked, frankly. Um, And just, you know, on that, I know we're talking about the the WIFT um, survey. There is going to be more kind of in-depth research coming from Safe to Create as well later in the year, which is looking at that whole intersectionality issue, because unsurprisingly, our survey really we didn't have um great representation from minority minoritized communities from um artists with disabilities um artists from non-binary trans uh, perspectives so we're trying to really work through you know what their experiences are like as well because that is almost certainly going to be a consideration um you know there's experiences are are very in, intersectional um and the issues people experience very often based on their identity can be even it can really aggravate the experiences they have i suppose that's what i'm saying in a very roundabout way you know no no and actually what you said there it's it it's it's you you're really getting a sort of at the moment there seems to be such a really intense backlash to the strides that we're all trying to make in being inclusive um and trying to find parity with in the industry that you know like people are really resentful of um the diverse voices in the room because they feel like they're not a merit and you can you can feel that like it's like there's something being stoked there at the moment so when when you're saying that it like you can you can kind of feel it when you're in the rooms at certain panels um i'm just i'm just wondering do you have any experience with regards to like dealing with that or, or or has there been any discussions at all about you know the best way to oppose this or or you know try and be more educational with regards to the purpose of it I mean it's it's tricky all I would say from my point of view is um you know I, I'm 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 a big fan of setting terms for these sort of things very clearly at the outset and you know where there are where there are sentiments and attitudes that are maybe you know out of whack with what you're actually really trying to achieve that that's unearthed quite quickly um I mean I I've been relatively fortunate not to certainly in my professional life I haven't dealt with an awful lot of that um but I have in other I suppose involuntary roles you know some of the roles I've had over the years 
around governance and so on, where there is kind of a sense like, and I'm afraid to say it's it's very much a throwback to when we were really just talking about gender equality. It's like, oh God, the woman has to have something to say about this, does she, you know? Um, and so, I mean, that's why I would say like the intersecting identities, like if you're, you know, a woman of color, if you're a woman with a disability, if you're uh, a non-binary person, it's like, oh God, our diverse person has something to say about this, do they, you know? So um, I think, you know, making it clear from the outset, particularly, I mean, if you're talking about panels and events and things like that, you know, um, I would say from a safe to great perspective, like we're all about like getting it out at the beginning. This is what we expect. We have one thing which is used a lot in theatre, but could, I'd say, theoretically be able to be used in any setting, which is um, our trust statement, which most companies now will use at the beginning. They, everybody reads it and it is this is what I commit to do in this work setting so it's very much focused on dignity of work and being respectful but we do take in issues around EDI as well and um, so I think dare I say it using the old Colgate phrase you know uh, prevention is better than cure you know like get get it clear at the outset what the expectation is how we do things around here that type of thing you know um, rather than having to deal with you know as you've mentioned some people who maybe are just waiting to roll their eyes <laughs> about something you know and it's it's actually that's actually very interesting because very often and I'll, I'll I'll bring this to you Jennifer very often as a as a writer you you hear um oh there's no roles being written for like women over a certain age or um there's no you know there's no kind of like authentically roles and I I question as well is it not is it maybe not that they're not being written but that you know that the power structures that exist there aren't really giving them their time and minimizing those voices. And in a way that kind of speaks back to, you know, those those imbalances and, and how they create something. I'm just wondering if that's something that you have come across. Absolutely. And I think if we want a more diverse industry, we've got to invest in it. We need to put extra resources and extra money to supporting, you know, those voices, those writers, um, I think it's probably more visible as well with cast and with actors where, you know, there's a real and it's absolutely essential that we do cast more diverse actors to represent, you know, the reality of the country that we're now living in. But what's missing is any kind of additional supports for them. And, you know, I think a recognition and an understanding that you're putting them in a very visible and very public role where, they are going to get a backlash. Um, social media is a horrific place to be um, for actors, um, in my experience, um, just from looking at hashtags as a writer. Um, and yes, it seems like we're missing that part of giving those people, and I think both actors and writers, extra support to cope with that, to know that there is somewhere to go, to know that there is you know, a chain of communication that's available to them and that they are not left to deal with all that stuff on their own. And one of the things Susan does um, very well is give uh, space for uh, beautiful, diverse work of all kinds to be to be visible and, and to promote it. And I think like that, that's sort of part of it as well. Like it's it's a the industry is so vast that there's so many different facets. And if one isn't working well, you know, and maybe, you know, like say if that was distribution isn't really giving access to voices in the same way, 
like you know like that is felt everywhere um so I'm just wondering Susan did you feel like that at any point with regards to um getting a backlash for you know maybe promoting those voices um are you talking about via catalyst Catalyst. yes the catalyst Uh, which is open for submissions now yeah uh that's right uh no actually I have to say up to this point um quite the opposite um, I have found there to be uh, a g- great support, um, very generous response from people, very generous response from people across the industry in all different places, a generous response for the most part from funders. I have to say, yes, it's a small festival and yes, um, we're still, you know, building and, you know, imagining and all of those things. But um I have to say that uh, so far, it seems to me that it is, um, it is, it's doing a lot of the nurturing that I'd hoped it would do. And that's for the staff, uh, the small, the small staff. I don't think you could say staff really when you don't, when there's no money changing hands, but the small festival workers, um, who, who are giving, uh, their love and time to it. Um, so I, I hope that, that, that keeps well, I have to say. And it's great, actually, to be able to say something so positive for a change. I know that's it. It's nice to see things are things are looking up. Um, so just actually just back to the, the topic of the survey and about how you're creating these spaces that are safe and that are inclusive and that are, are, are where people get to grow and feel comfortable in. And I'm just wondering, Susan, what would you say to maybe people that are listening who haven't had those experiences quite or have had the opposite um, who may not have filled out the survey yet? Why is it important? Well, look, the first thing to say is I know that there are many demands on our time. And, you know, we've all been that soldier where we kind of go, somebody else will fill it out. I don't have really have that, you know, much to say. And then it slides. Um, so all I can say is, look, it's 15 minutes max. It's available online. Gemma, you have all, you have put the link in there to make it even easier. Um Please don't think that your voice is unimportant. Please don't think that what you experienced or what you have seen is small fry in the scheme of things. That's what I really don't want you to think because we gather knowledge and we gather and build data because of people like you. So don't underestimate or dismiss the value of your your input. We really need you to take the survey. We really need you to be involved. After all, we're all working together to create an industry in which everyone has has a fair chance. We've talked about that just now. Um, But if in your office or on set or in the meeting rooms that you go to, if they are not safe spaces, um, then really what, what is it all about? You know what I mean? You have to be able to go about your business free from intimidation, bullying, any kind of predatory behavior, harassment, and so on. And if you can't, then all the initiatives in the world that are rolled out are not going to help you. So I would say, please take the survey and tell us whatever you know, be that small or large. We would really appreciate it. And you would be working with us together to create the kind of change that many of us want to see. And if anyone has any questions, now's the time to pop them in the chat or the Q&A. Um, I just want to ask all the panellists, um, 
what are the changes or what are changes if you are a producer and maybe you didn't know what to do? And I'll just let people jump in on this. Um, if you, you know, like if they were small changes you could make on a, on a small to medium production, that would be easy that you would suggest or advise. What do you think needs to happen going forward? Like simple, simple steps, but positive steps. That's such a huge question. I know. Yeah. Oh my God. She waits until the last few minutes to ask us this. Um, the culture has to change doesn't it the culture has to change and there's so many different wings to that culture and there's so many different places Um, if I may can I say this I think Jennifer Davison is an example of a great leader and I have watched since you took over Jennifer the, the Writers Guild how you have gone about tackling change and it's textbook stuff so I take my hat off to you. Everything that you're looking at, your, you know, your, 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 your documents, your policy, the way of thinking has changed. Uh, and, um, and you just take it seriously and you lead with uh, vision, which a good leader must lead with vision, I think, and also lead, I think, um, with the positivity, with the expectation of a good outcome, I think um, so. Thank you, Susan. I guess I would say um, my answer to your question, Gemma, is to talk about it. I think from the very start of any production, any new team coming in, to be really open and honest and have that conversation and set your expectations and set the expectations that it is on everybody within the organization. I mean, this is something that I've said to the board, you know, of the Writers Guild, that respect starts with us and how we treat each other and then we can go outwards and you know look at the wider stuff but if we don't get the basics right internally on how we deal with each other day to day nothing ever changes so I think it's just it's talking about that stuff and it's vocalizing it and it's not just assuming that people have read the policy documents it's making it part of the day-to-day I would go ahead there Uh, I would concur with uh, Jennifer in that whole thing about talking about it and also to be really aware and put the policies front and centre. But also when you're in a position of, of leadership, you need to be aware about how groupthink works and how of where bullying can happen, uh, where a number of people can jump in and engage in it on one person. Say, for instance, a whole group of males might kind of start using sexist language towards a uh, a, f- a female colleague, and where it's just in Asher, that's just banter. So, in a sense, that when you have those that type of behaviour, it needs to be really uh, clamped down on. And uh, for for people with in managerial roles, is to to highlight that and to, and to to call it out. Um, all I would say is I think and, and everybody's kind of clearly articulated the fact that it's not just one single thing you know it's a whole range of different things starting from you know as Susan and Jennifer just said there you know like it does need to be from the top down but also from the ground up like we all have a responsibility to call out behavior that's not acceptable um, and you know a good place to start is uh, you know as as has been said by Fergal as well you know have the conversation like this is you know organizational culture whether you're 
employing two people or 200 people like it's it's something that is clearly visible to people they feel it they know it they know what's acceptable they know you know what's what the norms are so you know making it clear having the conversation I wouldn't know Phil and well enough to be able to comment on the processes but I know theatre relatively well and as I said you know in that in that context, it's the first day that there is, you know, a new cast and a new company coming into a sh- to theatre to work on a show. You know, this is this is what the expectation is. This is how we work. You know, use the trust statement, make it clear that this is this is how we work in this organisation. And also, frankly, what to do if something happens, if you don't feel comfortable, what do you do if you hear something that you think is a problem? What do you do if you experience something yourself? Who do you talk to? What's available to you? All of those things. I mean, really, what we're saying is it's all it's it does come down to communication at the end of the day, but not one single thing, whole range of things. <laughs> Brilliant. And Susan, finally, um, just because people tell you their experiences or agree to talk about it, there's no guarantee of change. Do you ever ask yourself, what's the point? No, I do not ever ask myself that because I always think knowledge is power. And uh, we know that you don't, you know, nothing changes overnight. I mean, okay, you know, we've all banged the drum and said, oh, we want immediate change. But, you know, in our heart and soul, we know change does take time. So, no, uh, this survey is not going to turn a page straight away. We're not trying to say uh, that that it will do that. But to know what's happening is an absolutely crucial first step to any kind of change. Now, we already know that there has been a shift in the culture since Me Too. Things we internalized as unavoidable, necessary evils, things that that, that, that my other colleagues here have been talking about, um, things that we kind of just assumed we had to put up with one time have been challenged. Um, so we're much less likely, I think, to put up and shut up. I mean, I know more needs to be done, but I think we're less likely. Um, I've read research reports that explained why some people don't report after being a target um, of a whole, you know, a target of a whole host of, ex- of uh, unacceptable behaviours. And they said, what's the point? Nothing is going to happen anyway. So I would say to those listening that we at WIF think there is a point. And we ask our members and not just our members, but our colleagues across the industry to help us gather the facts. We should not and we must not shrug it off and say, what's the point? Because we've come too far over the last decade. We have actually seen change with our own eyes. And I believe that together we can create the kind of change we want in the workplace as well. That is very well put and I will leave it there. So thank you all so much for joining us. Um, we'll make sure to share, share the link. It's in the chat. If you haven't, please, please fill that out and pass it along because it's so important to have your voices heard. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for doing this very important research. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, folks. Bye-bye.